My name is Heather. I'm a member here at the Heights. We're going to spend a time in God's Word together now. This teaching comes from Daniel 2 in the Bible. The large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and am anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made into a garbage dump. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you will receive gifts, a reward, and great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. They answered a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will make known the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are trying to gain some time, because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there is one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream, and I will know you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king, No one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Then Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He came and said to him, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will give him the interpretation. Then Arioch brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man among the Judean exiles who can let the king know the interpretation. The king said in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dream and the visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Your majesty, while you were in bed, 
thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. The statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will rise another kingdom, inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. The fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything. And like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. You saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's fired clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with clay, and that the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong, and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with the clay. The peoples will mix with one another, but will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with fired clay. In the days of those kings, the king, the God of the heavens, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation reliable. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you speak clearly to us through it today. Help us to not just listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and your glory. Amen. All right, all right. So clearly, that round of applause is for you, because what a passage, right? I mean, thank you so much for, for listening to it. Uh, at a church where, where I was a number of years ago in Wilmington, North Carolina, we would, we would read the entirety of a passage that we were preaching before we got started. And one time we did 1 Corinthians 15, all of 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, you can go look at it and see how many pages you have to turn, depending on the size of your Bible. 
But, the, but and we, were, we were standing while we were reading it, and there were people that were literally like leaning over, like in the middle of it. Like, what is, and the person who was reading, like you did when you had to flip your pages, like it was like flipping pages, and then the second page, everybody laughed because it was like, all right, we're, we're up here for a really long time. Um, so my name's Clayton Green. Jonathan took all of my introduction of myself, uh, almost word for word. Uh, yeah, so I'm the director of the Summit Collaborative. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, the reason I am here, and I'm actually here with my family, is because um, in the summer, we love to come and just participate and see what God is doing in the churches um, that are part of the Summit Collaborative all around the country. And so my girls are here today. Um, they are, there are three of them. That's Susan. Kara's beside her. Zoe, the third one, is their friend who lives in Denver, okay? So, and then on the end, uh, this is Kristen, my, my wife Kristen. So I'm wearing this microphone for you. I'm wearing this microphone for Kara. Kara has two cochlear implants, and this helps her hear a lot, a lot easier. It goes straight to her cochlear implants, so uh, this one goes straight to your ears. So that's why I'm wearing this. So yes, uh, the Summit Cloud, I kind of um, wanted to tell like a really fun uh, summary of my job history, because again, Jonathan took all of my introduction about what Summit Collaborative is. Here's the summary of my job history. I was trained as a physical therapist, worked for four years. All right, physical therapy. Um, I was trained as a physical therapist, and then I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, to, to a, a, one of our church plants, to do Jonathan Hunt's job. Then when my family moved back to Raleigh-Durham, our family needed to be back in Raleigh-Durham for a number of different reasons, uh, I took Mike McDaniel's job, as Jonathan already told you, which means that now I actually work for Corbin. So all, like, all the lead pastors are my bosses, so that, that's how it works. So now you know essentially what my job is and how the whole thing works together. We are a support organization. Everybody supports each other, and we are a leadership development organization. Why do I bring that up right now? It's because I've been, had the opportunity to meet a couple of your staff have conversations with them about what working in vocational ministry looks like and um, what their strengths and gifts are and how God has called them to be a leader. If you have any, any hint of potentially looking at a career or a vocation working in the church, I would love to talk to you today um, before you leave. And if, if we can't, I'll talk to you back when I get, get, back from Raleigh -Durham, get back to Raleigh Durham. I'll be here all week. I'd love to have coffee with you or something like that because we want to continue to develop leaders to continue to plant more and more churches. Um, that, that's what I'm passionate for and I wake, wake up for every day. So we're going to talk about Daniel 2. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, um, I recognize my inadequacy in this moment and I see your goodness and I ask that your goodness will shine through. And there are so many people in the room, souls that you have created, people that you want to and you do have a relationship with I ask that you would give us all, myself included, a greater and more beautiful picture of your kingdom, what you're doing in this world, and why it feels so often like what we're trying to do, what we want to do in following you is so hard for us to do. Give us a view of your kingdom that makes, um, that changes our week this week, that changes our life. We give this time to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so back to the cute little girls on the side, because y'all seem to really like that. Um, Susan, who is clearly enjoying this moment, it was, her, uh, she, she, it was her birthday this past week. Can everyone say happy birthday? Good. Now, that was partially for her, and partially I'm testing how much you guys are helping me for something we're doing later in the sermon, okay? So that was a test. Uh, today's sermon is about dreams. Now, Kara 
had a dream a couple of weeks ago. Kara's in third grade. She woke up um, one of the days before EOG, and she told us that she had one of those exam dreams. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're like, I mean, so there's a variety of different versions of them. One, uh, it's like you're in a room, but the, it's actually on the other side of campus where you're supposed to be for the test. One is like you like are asleep, you, you are, you're late, you have to wake up and you run, but you forgot to put clothes on or something like that. Who has ever had like an exam dream like that, right? Okay, so who, who else has had another kind of dream that has like spooked them? Like where it's like, okay, so everybody has had some kind of experience like that. Who has ever had an experience in real life that you wish was a dream. Yeah, absolutely all of us. Uh, there are a couple of things that come to my mind. I think the pandemic in and of itself, we all had that moment. We're like sitting in our, house, in our houses and like, what is going on? Is this real? I, I had this moment a couple of, two years ago, uh, I w- had purchased 5,000 of something and there were, uh, it was a set of blocks and then a book that went with it, but the blocks didn't match the book and it was already on the way to me. It was, I wish that was a dream. We ended up getting it all fixed. But essentially why I'm I'm talking about that is when King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, how does that relate to us? How does that relate to your life this week? The experience that I want you to think about is an experience of confusion or frustration, a wondering about what's going to happen for my life and what's going to happen in the future. And you're searching for that and maybe you wish it was a dream because it's so confusing and troubling, maybe even triggering that you you don't know what to do or where to go for help. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar woke up with. He woke up with a dream like that. That's what our story centers around today. Now we read the entire passage, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift some things out so we can kind of take the passage today and apply it. First thing we're going to do is we're going to look at how the king responds to this situation of confusion. Uh, the second thing we're going to look is we're going to see how Daniel responds to that situation of confusion and wondering what's happening in the future. And then three, we're going to come back to that interpretation of the dream at the end with the stone and it breaks the statue, all that business. We'll come to that at the end to talk about how that actually inspires us to respond more like Daniel than the king. All right. So that's the summary of what we're going to do today. So first, the king's response. How does the king respond to this dream and his confusion? Uh, I'm going to read again verse 2 through 5 for us because it's the summary there. So then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. See, he's troubled. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me, listen, the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. You heard it correctly. The king asked for the dream and the interpretations. This is like someone coming to you and saying, hey, I have a situation at work, an opportunity. I'd love for you to help me make a decision on what I should do. And you say, okay, Tell me what is going on. Tell me the circumstances and what the opportunity is. And they say, nah, you just tell me what I should do and I won't even give you the context, right? Very confusing, not even fair. You can see in the passage there, it's very clear that the king is actually looking for a divine interpretation. So it's a little bit of an unfair situation, but let's look at how he responds. He responds, number one, in power. I'm going to show you how the king responds and then Daniel. So number one, he responds in power. And I think that's going to go up there in a minute, but maybe it won't. So in in verse two, he commands them to come. And when he commands them to come, they come. The king has an extraordinary amount of power. 
He has something that has worked for him in the past, and he is going to use it now in order to demand that someone come and help him in, in his time of need. Now, power is, is not always bad. There, there's a book called The Play, Playing God by uh, Andy Crouch that you should go read. It's a whole work on two different types of power. Corruptive power is I'm lording over you. Creative power is I'm using my power over you to help you create, to help you thrive. So corruptive power, bad. Creative power, good. This is corruptive lording over people power. You can see that in that he actually is going to threaten to kill them if they don't do it. So one, he responds in power, lording over you power. Two, he responds asking people for answers. He goes to these sorcerers, which shows that he's looking for a divine answer, but he's going to people. You'll see in a minute that going to people for answers instead of going to the God of Daniel is actually not going to be helpful at all. We shouldn't be going to people for the ultimate answers when we're in these confusing and frustrating situations. He responds in power. He responds asking people for answers. And then finally, he responds angry and lashing out, looking for someone else to pay. He's angry. He's looking for a scapegoat. It's his own dream, but in the frustration of his dream, he's saying someone else has to pay because I am so frustrated that I don't know what's going to happen with me and my future and this statue and the stone. Someone please help me. And he's lashing out and angry. But let's have a little bit of a moment of empathy for the king. That's very similar to how we respond to frustration, to confusion about our future as well. One of the easiest way to, ways to see what is very common in our hearts is to look at what the talking heads and politicians do whenever an issue is, kind of comes up in our day. Think of any issue in the news, okay? Any issue in the news, and you look at how the talking heads on the news or politicians respond. How do they respond? In power. Most of them already in a position of power. Looking to people for answers whether it's themselves or some kind of expert that they're trying to bring on to talk about something. And what's the telltale sign of our culture right now when you don't get people on your side or, or agreeing with you in a situation of confusion or frustration? Lashing out in anger. I mean, it, we see it all. I mean, any news station you turn on this after, it wouldn't matter if the issue was there are rodents crossing the border from Canada into New England. Like, it wouldn't matter. There would still be that same situation where people would kind of pick sides and they would be lashing out on each other. One would be saying the rodents are coming because they're an environmental problem, and another group of people are going to be saying that the rodents are coming because we don't have good border control, right? I mean, you can see it, right? I made that up. I don't think there's any rodents coming across the border from Canada. But you can see how that happens, and you know that they are going to respond in their power, looking to people to try to find a solution. And when that solution is not getting picked, they're going to be angry and looking for a scapegoat. It's fatiguing, isn't it? I get tired of watching that. But let's have a little bit of empathy for them. Isn't it possible that we respond in the same way often as well? Say that thing at work does happen where you have an opportunity or you're confused about what your future holds at work or whatever is happening in your life with the doctor, whatever, what do you do? You find yourself, you run to a group of people 
that are going to listen to you and agree with you. Even if you're not in a position of power, you search and you look and you try to find a position of power. You make a big noise if you have to in order to get the attention so that people are listening to you. Why? So that you can have power that you can lord over the situation. Then you communicate to those people and you say, you help me, you agree with me in order to make this a better situation. If they can't, what do you do? You're angry and you ask them to be angry with you. In power, looking to people for answers, and then lashing out in, in, in anger. It's fatiguing, isn't it? Because people on TV are doing it, and we respond in that same way, and so we actually understand why the king might be responding in this way. I want to leave you hanging on the king for just a second, because I imagine the way that I've set this up, that Daniel provides a little bit of a different uh, option for us of how we might respond. So the king responds in power, looking to people for answers, and angry and lashing out and looking for someone to pay. Daniel responds in humility, looking to God for answers, sharing the blessings that he has been given for the good of others. So one in humility. Verse 30, it says, But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. I didn't do this. this. This wasn't my idea. You see in the passage that God actually reveals. There's a section of the passage there where they use the word revealed is in that passage about five times in about three verses. It says, I didn't do this. God did this, right? You also see he's doing it in humility. I didn't do it, but he's also looking to God for answers. Uh, in verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends, I won't say their names, and his companions, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So here's the caveat here. He's looking to God for answers, but as believers, when we're looking to God for answers, we always do it in community. He goes to his three friends and he said, let's together look and search the mystery here. All right, so you're going to God you're doing it in community with people, especially when it's a gray and very difficult type of thing. Here's the thing I want you to, I want to stop for a moment and just like acknowledge. This is what commentators say is the main point of the passage. When you have a difficult thing happening in your life, I imagine many of you in the room already have that difficult thing in your mind and you're kind of trying to test how am I responding right now. If you don't, go ahead and grab it. What's the thing that's been frustrating? What's the thing that is, uh, what does it say about the king? Has made you, uh, uh, sleep deserts you because of that issue. What is that thing? Now, are you going to people looking for answers and interpretation of what is going to happen in the future for you? Are you going to people who don't have an understanding of the future? Are you going to a God who does have an understanding of the future? This is the main point of the passage. Where are we going? Where are we searching for help and answers in the situations where we're, we're having a difficult time. I want to acknowledge right now, and we're going to come back and do something a little bit fun in just a minute. That's actually a really, really hard thing. I do it all the time. Something bad's happening, look to people. Something bad's happening, look to people. Something bad happening, look to people. But what we can do as a community is when we come to each other looking for help and frustration, look for clarity for the future, trying to answer questions that are difficult in our lives. When we come to each other, what we can do together is point each other to God because it's so hard in the midst of that confusion and frustration and dreamlike state to actually uh, naturally respond looking to God that when we come to each other, we need to remind each other that thank you for coming to me. Now let's both go to God together. That's what we need to be doing together. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how we do that and just a minute. But now that may be the most important part of the passage. I think the most interesting part of the passage is what he does last. He responds, 
uh, in humility, looking to God for answers, and he shares the blessings that he has been given for the good of others. In verse 24, it says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, including Daniel himself. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. This is a wild thing about the kingdom of God. These sorcerers, enchanters, the Chaldeans, these people would essentially have been doing what Daniel does, but with false gods, right? In some ways, they're kind of set up as com competitors, competitor gods, right? And the first thing that he does is he takes the blessing that he has had, and he doesn't go and say, please don't kill me. What does he say? He says, do not destroy them. This is a, a beautiful hallmark, hallmark of the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful hallmark of the kingdom of God. God never gives anything to his people meant just to help his people. God gives answers and practices and himself to his people so that they can then go bless the cities that they are in and so that they can go and bless the world. And you can see right here that this is how Daniel was responding. It is a beautiful kingdom that Daniel is pointing to, and you can see that in that he's, he's going to bless others. So let's, I, let me look at the two side by side. You've kind of seen how I've set it up. So in power, the king is looking to people for answers and lashing out and looking for someone to pay. The opposite is Daniel is in humility looking to God for answers and sharing God's blessings for the good of others. I will summarize this chart by saying that the difference in responding, like the kingdom of this world, like King Nebuchadnezzar, and the kingdom of God, is that the operating system in the kingdom of this world is you do what is good for you and use others and blame others if it's helpful. But the kingdom of God is completely different. The kingdom of God says, look to what God is doing, participate in that, and as you receive blessing from in the, him in that, you bless others. It's a, it's a wildly different type of kingdom. It's a wildly different type of response to, to, um, to stressors and frustrations and confusion in our, in our life. And it's really, really hard to respond like Daniel instead of responding like the king. Now, I want to tell you why I think it's hard. It's because the, the world that we live in, the kingdom of this world and the kingdoms of this world are playing their song, their banner, they're playing their, their narrative as loud as possible. Every day when we wake up, we are hearing it from all angles. And it actually in some way is kind of embedded in ourselves. And we're trying to sing a different song inside. Have you ever tried to sing a song in your head while another song is playing over the loudspeaker? Have, let's do it together then. All right, can you, can you play our, our, our chosen song here? A little bit louder. A little bit. This is Katy Perry's roar. Turn it a little bit louder. There you go. All right. So here's what we're going to do. You know this song is playing really loud, and you probably a little bit is inside of you. You've heard it before, and you might be, you're at least hearing the beat. I want you to try to pick a song and sing it in your head. Now, when I tried to do this over the weekend, I couldn't even think of a song. Raise your hand if you've got a song. All right. Try to sing it. It's only like... 20% of you. Can you do it? All right, stop, stop. All right, so it's really, really hard to do that. Now, one of the things that we could do is if we all sang together and I gave you the lyrics to um, I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys and we all did it together, maybe we'd be a little bit better, right? All right, let's try it. So turn it up again. You are my fire, the one 
desire believe when I say I want it that way. Good. Stop, 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 stop. Hey, good job. You're having fun. Wasn't that fun? You now see why I asked you to tell her happy birthday. Are you going to participate? I really appreciate it. So, but here, here's the thing. As we were doing this, me and Kristen were sitting at the pool in, in Durham this week trying to figure out what songs to do. And we picked those two because it actually works pretty good as a mashup, doesn't it? Like you like scale, you see like if you get it on the right tempo. So we were singing the song, I Want It That Way, but we were doing it to Katy Perry's beat. Do you think that we can beat her beat? Let's try to sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas and not listen to the beat. Okay, so watch me. I'll direct we wish you a Merry Christmas. You got it? That's the song we're going to sing. All right, turn it up. Crank it. Crank it. All right, ready? We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. All right, stop. I think we did it. Did we do it? All right, round of applause. All right, when the, when the world is playing their song, this is the narrative. Do what is best for you. Use others if it's helpful. Blame them if you have to. And they're playing that do what is best for you, buy what is best for you. Be you, be happy. You find the truth in yourself. And they're saying that so loud like Katy Perry's, Katy Perry's roar. And you're trying to say, seek what God wants, look to him for answers, and then bless others even if they're hurting me. It's, it feels almost impossible. But what if we did it together? And what if we practiced it as many times as we've sung, we wish you a Merry Christmas? This is why... We get together here every week. This is why you do community groups. You get together with people and you say, let's sing the song again. God, blessing others. God, loving others. Not me, not using others and blaming them, but God, sharing others. This is the, this is the culture. This is the, this is the song and the story of the kingdom of God. And we want to sing it, but it is so hard to do it. We must do it together and we must practice it often if we're ever going to be able to sing that song in the midst of the, the world uh, singing a song. But here's the thing. I know that there are some people in the room that are thinking, that sounds like a whole lot of work. <laughs> I'm not really sure that that kingdom is actually that much better than the kingdoms of this world. This kingdom of God, kingdom of the world thing, I'm not sure that I've really bought that I want to be in the kingdom of God yet. Can I take the interpretation and try to show you two ways that I think this kingdom is better and why you need to practice that song and to try to sing that together here with the Heights Church, okay? I've already given you one of three things I want to do, and the first one is that the kingdom of God is beautiful. The kingdom of God is beautiful in that it exists for blessing and loving our city and our world, and that is a beautiful kingdom that so many of the kingdoms of this world may in a fake way tell you that they're doing, but really when you look under the hood, they're not doing that at all. They're operating under that self-centered, self-preservation type of operating system. Now, I also want to acknowledge that we're going to talk, the interpretation is about kings and kingdoms, but kings and kingdoms are a little bit difficult for us to think in unless you are watching Bridgerton right? We watched Bridgerton, right? Um, we just finished the second season, no spoilers, okay? So, um, or, or any kind of Regency type of show, because our world is telling you so much that the world is supposed to be about you, that kings and kingdoms seem to be a little bit distant or odd, maybe even irrelevant, right? That's just not how we operate. 
Our world says that you're the center of the universe. You're supposed to find your truth inside of yourself. And you're supposed to take care of yourself. But the thing is, is that finding that truth inside of yourself, finding your happiness on your own, it actually, it, it doesn't work. Second book recommendation I want to give you today. First one was Playing God. Second one is Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. Fantastic, fantastic book. I can't spend enough time to tell you why I like it. If you want to know, I'll give you the pitch after we're done with this. I'm going to lift two quotes out of that where he's in his identity chapter talking about trying to find this purpose and identity um, in, in yourself rather than in, um, in a group or in a, in a larger organization. In all former cu- cultures, people developed a self by moving towards others, seeking their attachment. We found ourselves, as it were, in the faces of others. But modern secularism teaches that we can develop ourselves only by looking inward, by detaching and leaving home, religious communities, and all other requirements so that we can make our choices and determine who we are for ourselves. Historically, look to this group. Now, reject that group. Find it in yourself. He says, though, even when modern people claim to be validating themselves, the reality is always that they are socializing themselves into a new community of peers, of cheerleaders, of people whose approval they crave. What he's saying here is that the, you can't find your identity, your self-worth, you, that, that self-centered self-preservation, it doesn't really work because the, the, there's no real foundation for you to find your own, like who you are and what your purpose in life is. You can't really find that inside of yourself. Try. And what he's saying here is when you do try, inevitably you end up finding that grounding in another group, just a group that you agree with rather than the one that you rejected that you didn't agree with in the beginning, right? So I would then say, here's where it gets interesting. Each one of these groups, big or small, historical or new, is trying to posture itself as a kingdom. I would say that a kingdom is made up of a a king or a queen, so royalty, rule makers, gathering places, ideology, and promises of the future. I'm getting part of that from that playing God book again, okay? Royalty, rule, rule makers, gathering places, ideology, and promises for the future. They're saying it, it's going to be better if you follow us. And we can name a couple of the things that are, are trying to give us a promise for the future. A promise of interpreting why the world is the way it is and what's going to fix it. The, the Democrats and the, and the Republicans. They're, they're both trying to say, this is the way. Come join this kingdom and we promise that we will, we will solve everything. Education, business, finance. There's so many different uh, environment. There's so many different causes and movements that they're saying, hey, come and work with us. Be a part of our kingdom. Be a part of our movement. And you actually be a part of the, the promises of peace and joy coming to the world. The thing is that Christianity has those same things because Christianity just on the face value says, this is the kingdom of God. Okay, so all of that was me just getting you to the place to say, let's talk about kings and kingdoms, okay? And why the kingdom of God is better than the kingdom of this world. I I would say first, the price of admission to the kingdom of God is different. The price of admission to the kingdom of God is different. The price of admission to any of these kingdoms is to bow to their kings and queens, follow their rules, and come to their gatherings and preach their ideology. Essentially, the price to admission to a kingdom or a movement is submission, submission to their way. But I dare you, and you've probably had this experience or at least watched it with someone, I dare you to step one inch outside of their ideology, one inch, and you will be crushed and cast out. You're gone. We would say you're canceled, right? 
Step one inch outside of one of these kingdoms ideology and you're going to be canceled. All right, so what about the kingdom of God? Why is it so much better? The price of admission in the kingdom of God is the same thing, submission. Submission to God and his rules and his way of living. But here's the thing, in the kingdom of God, if you step out of line, we expected that anyway. We expected that you were going to step out of line. You don't get cast out. The king was actually cast out for you. See the stone in this analogy, that stone imagery, that there's another stone that is talked about in Mark 12, which is actually referencing Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected, cast out, has become the cornerstone. The reason you can be included in the kingdom of God is because the king was cast out for you. You get to come in in his standing as a son or daughter of the God most high because he was cast out, which means you won't get cast out, which is why Christianity is much more like a journey of, of following God and coming to know him than it is like subscribing to a particular ideology. Now, I need to take one small moment and just apologize because I, I think that many of you, that sounds very different than what you have been told in other, other, hopefully other churches, other places in your life. It wasn't that if you step outside the ideology the king was cast out for you. If you stepped outside of the ideology of your church, you were cast out. I am sorry. I am so sorry. They were preaching a different kingdom. And not to make light of it, but kind of like when we were singing I Want It That Way <laughs> to the beat of Katy Perry's roar, there are Christians who take Christian words and put it into the beat of the kingdom of this world. They're essentially taking the kingdom of God and they're saying, they're saying it in a way that sounds good to you, but it's actually domesticating, perverting maybe even the message, the invitation of mercy and grace and love, which is certainly the kingdom of God. I am so sorry. I know that many of you have had that type of experience. This church will not cast you out. This church will walk with you as you desire to walk in the kingdom of God as you desire to walk in submission to that and you step outside of it, we will bring you back in. That's, that's what the kingdom of God is for and that's why it is so much better than the kingdom of this world. Two, so one, the price of admission is different. Two, only one of these kingdoms will reign forever and actually bring peace and joy to this world. Now for this one, we go back to the dream, all right? In the dream, there's a big statue, <clears throat> four different medals. The King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, is the gold head, but there's gold, silver, bronze, clay, and iron mixed in. Now, if you want to have a wild ride of, a, of guesses and postulation, find a commentary. There are lots of people who think they can tell you what those kingdoms are. I don't think that's the, the, the main point of the passage. But what, what is the main point of the passage is that the stone, not built by human hands, comes and crushes all of those kingdoms. Because this kingdom, the one not built by human hands, is the one that is going to reign forever. In verse 44, it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So this interpretation shows us that this is actually the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the one that is going to bring peace and joy to the world forever. So if you want, and I want so many of the kingdoms that are making big promises to us, the kingdoms of this world right now, the ones that are inviting us in and singing their song over us so much, they're saying, hey, we're going to do good things for the world. Join us. It's going to be better. 
And we have seen over and over and time again, and if you look at history, this dream is interpreting history as there are kings and kingdoms, literally kings and kingdoms, movements and organizations that grow, and it looks like, oh, there's promise that really is going to help. But that self-centered, self-preservation peace, that original sin that is inside of all of us, ends up being inside of all those organizations and institutions as well. They will fall. They will not reign forever and actually bring joy and peace to the world. So if you want that, the kingdom of God is the one that you need to be in. But that song is hard to sing, so we need to practice it together. And we need to practice it very, very often. That is how you survive, thrive in Babylon or Denver. And the most beautiful thing about it is that's also how you bless Babylon. And that's how you bless and love Denver as well. May God please open our eyes to the kingdom of God. Let us be in it and be working towards it because that future, that one day, it is coming. And I want to see that come true. Let's all be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes so that we can see. Open our eyes that we can see that there is something greater than us. Open our eyes so that we can see that your kingdom is true, that it will reign forever. Open our eyes. Let us deal in grace and love with each other and with our city in the midst of um, others who do love us in this room and are going to treat us in love together but also let us deal in love and blessing with a city who, uh, and, and people and movements and organization and individuals that often will reject us because of things that we say or things that we believe or what we want to do. God, open our eyes to your kingdom and allow, allow that vision of that kingdom to be able to give us um, a way to live, to fight anxiety and depression, to be able to thrive today. Um, and tomorrow, next week, and and next year. God, we give our hearts to you. I give these hearts in the room to you. Please work and and do great things. Um, We love you. You're good. In your son's name we pray. Amen.